Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm inspired to share with you a story about overcoming limitations that was inspired by a woman from Boston who I met last week while interviewing people for a travel client. Now, you know, they say that people come into your life at the right moment for the right reasons. And I mean, I guess that's what happened. I was doing a project last week that I was, you know, I had very mixed emotions about. I was asked by a, a big travel company to interview people about their experiences traveling during the pandemic. Now, for context, traveling is something that I always love to do. Um, I was actually drawn to my current profession as a marketing consultant because of the fact that it involves, or at least it used to involve, traveling to different places um, to understand, you know, different points of view in different parts of the country. Now, in olden times, it wasn't uncommon for me to hit three cities every week, say, an East Coast city like Boston, a Midwest city like Chicago, and the West Coast, you know, L.A. or San Francisco or Seattle or something like that. And while that's kind of a grueling thing to do, hit three cities in one week, you know, typically over the course of only three or four days, you know, I do have a little George Bailey inside me. You know, I've got this this guy in me who wants to break free of his hometown and see the world. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Now, I haven't been on a plane since March, and that's really the longest I've gone in, in at least 15 years without traveling. But don't get me wrong. I appreciate the time I've had at home, spending more time with the family. But, you know, my three kids are in college now, and I always thought that you know, this would be a time where I could travel, you know, for work with a lot less guilt, you know, maybe even extend a trip or day or two or a couple of days or two on either side and maybe even bring my wife along with me if she would be interested in going. So the thought of interviewing people about traveling during the pandemic made me a little sad. I believe kids these days call that FOMO. So anyway, back to my my story about this person I interviewed. My third interview of that day, which was last Tuesday, was a woman named Mary, and she had a really thick Massachusetts accent. And she was inspiring to me for a number of reasons. Now, I knew from a pre-interview assignment that we had each of our participants do that she lives with multiple sclerosis, and, and I knew that put her in a higher risk group for COVID. So I was actually really interested in hearing her talk about the decisions of why she decided to take a vacation during the pandemic. But what really got my attention was her sense of humor. You know, when I asked her how she felt going on the vacation, this is what Mary had to say. They treated me like the white Oprah. It was 
<laughs> vacation ever. You know, I think I'm like the Oprah Winfrey of Boston, you know. She compares herself to Oprah. I, and I didn't really see like any anything that really warranted that comparison. You know, it must be really below the surface. But, you know, she called herself the white Oprah and, and not once, mind you, but multiple times during her conversation. You know, I guess, you know, it's her way of saying is, you know, when, when she actually did go to Jamaica, you know, she was treated like royalty. Or then again, maybe it's because, you know, everybody at the resort got a car. You know, now you get a car and you get a car and you could park it at the Harvard Yard. That's terrible. I mean, that's a really terrible Massachusetts accent. It makes me, you know, not want to do my JFK accent for you. Era. It's not really a good JFK accent. Uh, I don't I don't even sound like JFK. I sound like you know, the guy on IMIS who used to do like JFK. Anyway, here's the thing. You know, Mary has been through a hell of a lot in her life, especially in the last five years. And you'll hear her talk about it in a, in a few minutes. You know, she went through, you know, chemo to treat her MS. She lost her hair. And because, you know, MS is a neurological disease, it actually impacts her ability to walk. So listen to her talk about this. So when you go to Disney World and you have MS and you go to Jamaica, they just people at first think I'm kind of drunk, which I'm not. But it's the way I walk because my gait is off. But um, they put, you know what? It was great because I told them, you know, I have MS. I can't walk from the beach <laughs> to like the room or whatever. They upgraded my room right to the beach and right to all close to dining. So, you know, does it help me? Yeah. Did I go through five years of chemo? Yeah. But you know what? In going to Disney World, you know, if you're not going to put me close to the desk or close to an elevator, I'm going to complain. Sorry. I'm the one that complains. You know, people, oh, you know, before I used to look fine, you know, walking and stuff. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. But, you know, when you go for five years of chemo, lose your hair. I'm like, so. Right. They, they, were, they were very good. Right. You know, I just basically sit my butt in a wheelchair when I get to Logan. Here I am. That's how I am. Here I am. Pull out the dollar bills and keep going. Pull out the dollar bills and keep going. There's like a Cardi B joke in there somewhere. But what Mary actually wound up teaching me was just so much more than what I needed to learn for her for, for my client. And she taught me that life is always worth living. Now, she went on this trip to Jamaica alone. And, and, and most of us, you know, can, can navigate airports without much trouble. Right. But, you know, MS plays a number on mobility and specifically her mobility. And, and I can't imagine not having someone to help me if I were in her shoes. But she decided to go on this trip alone. You know, her husband just got back from a trip to, to visit their daughter in Europe. I guess he was moving her home. So he didn't really feel like, you know, going on another trip to Jamaica. So she said, you know, we paid for it. I'm going. She went solo. And, you know, God bless her. You know, she she went alone. And in doing so, she, of course, had to rely on the help of others. So, you know, Mary has learned to ask for help. And that's something that I struggle with. You know, maybe it's pride or the feeling that, you know, whatever suffering I'm going through, whatever burden I'm carrying is important or it's even warranted. And, and one day, I promise on this podcast, I will talk about the souls of purgatory because, man, do I have a lot to say, a lot to say about that topic. But Mary's gotten over it. You know, she she's OK asking people for help. 
And the other thing she taught me is, is kind of this idea of balancing risk and reward. You know, it's not like she didn't know that there was a pandemic going on. And, you know, it, it of course, isn't the safest time to travel. But on the other hand, she's got this very unique perspective that traveling is not something she'll always be able to do. You know, she has a little trouble walking now, but you know, MS is a degenerative disease. You know, there's going to be time. And this is very sad for me to say, but where it's just not going to be possible for her. So, you know, really the reward that she received for going on this trip where she was treated like Oprah Blanco was worth the risk she took to get there. Now, look, I'm not advocating that we should all be rushing to airports right now. Now, I won't be doing that unless a trip were absolutely necessary. You know, if I had a sick relative who needed help, I would certainly think about going down and, and traveling to, to go help them. But that's my choice. And Mary made a different one, and I won't judge her for that. You know, I think there's way too much judgment of others going on right now. And, you know, to my way of thinking anyway. And you know, don't even get me started on the hypocrites of government who think that the rules that they proselytize don't even apply to them. So my time with Mary also got me to thinking about limitations. And, and when I think about limitations, I break them into two types. Limitations that are thrust upon us, like illness, like Mary's MS, and limitations that we actually place on ourselves. Man's got to know his limitations. Now, thank you for the reminder, Callahan, but you got to let me make my point. When my son was under two, he broke his femur and he was in a body cast for six weeks. He, he hadn't put any weight on his body that entire time. But within days of getting his cast off, he was actually walking. And that's largely because my mother-in-law helped push him to do so. Now, he was young and he didn't have that little voice in his head saying, I can't do it. But still, he needed that coach that he found in his grandmother. He needed that cheerleader. And I'm convinced it's because of her that he was walking so quickly. Now, Mary also had some limitations thrust upon her, but, but she decided not to let them get in her way either. Now, she, in a way, became her own cheerleader. And, you know, we all know people who walk around saying, I can't do this because, you know, fill in the blanks or worse, they walk around saying, you can't do that because fill in the blanks. You know, the, that's like the anti cheerleader. Right. And, and at times it's even us who, who puts those limitations on us. Yeah, but just as my son needed a cheerleader to get him on his feet again, we all need cheerleaders to lead fulfilling lives. And in my life, I've placed a number of limitations on myself. I'll be honest. You know, for example, I used to think that I wasn't very good at sales because I'm not what you call aggressive. You know, I once heard a hiring manager say to me in a job interview that I was a farmer and not a hunter. I actually put that in a book once. <laughs> a character, you know, somebody said that to one of my characters in a book, but that I was a farmer and not a hunter and that he only wanted hunters. And I actually believed that for a long time. You know, I believed that I was, you know, no good at sales because I wasn't, you know, the aggressive type A hunter. But someone came along and, and they helped me change my thinking, um, you know, along those lines. And it was actually a woman I interviewed, you know, years ago. Her name is Diane Darling. She's like this expert networking. Uh, she's like a networking consultant. She's really fantastic. Um, but I told her, I said, you know, I used to be very timid and shy in networking situations. And, and that's kind of odd. If you know me, you know, it's kind of odd because, you know, what I do for a living, you know, I moderate focus group discussions, or at least I used to <laughs> when we had things called focus groups, uh, with strangers and, and to do that confidently requires a certain personality. You know, I have to go into a room full of strangers. I have to make them feel comfortable immediately and I have to get them opening up about, you know, sometimes very sensitive topics. And I, and I actually do that very well. I'm told 
uh, do that very well. So when I'm at a networking event, you know, why didn't it work for me? Like, why was I so shy? Why was I so timid? And, you know, I, I kept telling her, you know, that this was my issue. And she said, well, what's your what's what do you think the problem is? I said, you know, when I run a focus group, you know, I you know, I, I, I'm a listener. You know, I listen, I ask questions, but I, I listen and then I probe accordingly. And when I'm at conferences, I actually have to be selling myself. And that's when she pointed out that my mindset was all wrong. You know, that that challenge that I had constructed for myself in my head, that limitation was actually, you know, the, the result of faulty thinking. And she told me that I should take those listening skills I have that I use in focus groups and, and listen to people at conferences and, and, you know, of course, probe accordingly, but engage them and, and not let the objective be to sell myself or to sell my company. And this is what she had to say about that during our discussion. I don't want an elevator pitch. I want a conversation. And, you know, I mean, unless I'm on Shark Tank, it's it doesn't make sense. You know, and actually at this conference, I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago. And as I was walking out, there's Mark Cuban, uh-huh. you know, and it was hysterical to see him in person. He's just the same and he's just as nuts. But um, we, I think in some cases, tell people things that they don't need to know or haven't asked or are irrelevant and it comes across as if that's nice that you're in some business and it has this potential or you know this is the problem you solve but um i I remember being at one event this one guy you know um i do receivables do you have any Uh, you know that really you know and so what happens is those people are looking for transactions networking is relationships Uh you know i'm gonna guess shot in the dark that you and your wife did not get married on your first date. When people go into these networking events, they'll say to me, oh, it wasn't a successful event. And I'm like, why not? Well, I didn't get any deals. I'm like, did you really think you were going to sign a contract tonight? You know, if I said to you, great, sign here. No, you can't look at it. You know what I mean? No, you can't, you know, go off and read. I mean, yeah, you might be able to go off and read it, but you got to do it right now. It just, that's just as unrealistic pressure in a social setting, we would just like, oh, my gosh, let me politely get away and then find the police. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a business setting, we somehow think it's acceptable to do that. And it's it's just it's it's um, counterproductive. So in a way, she became like a, a cheerleader of mine, a coach of mine, and she really helped change the way I thought about working a conference. So that's what I have to share with you today. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Uncorking a Story and ask that you please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date with the latest episodes. And as always, the holidays are upon us. And I have to remind you that books make great gifts.